As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jackie. Got a shout out on BT Sport, didn't you? Apparently they called you excellent, for goodness sake. Did they? I don't know who they've been reading. St- yeah. That, that, that £20 I slipped them came in very handy. Adam Summerton, your new best friend. Well, Wolves have beaten Chorley with a clean sheet and a wonder goal. They're into the FA Cup fifth round and they've signed a shiny new striker, so... Everyone's happy, right? Well, that's the glass half full approach, but some fans are pointing to the chronic lack of creativity at the home of the National League North part-timers and how Wolves only manage one shot on target all night. We'll discuss briefly where the line should be drawn. Then we'll swiftly draw the line and move on to the other CFC away, Chelsea, followed by Crystal Palace. The Athletics' Dominic Fifield is an authority on both clubs and has kindly agreed to tell us how Wolves should go about beating them. Before that, we'll discuss William José and whether the Brazilian can breathe new life into the old golden black. Plus, Tim will don his headmaster's garb and offer his midterm report on which players have done well and who must do better. And we'll discuss Scott Sellers' promotion from academy director to the role of technical director and what that actually means in practice. Now, I hope you've noticed that Tim has written some rather cracking pieces again this week and you can get the Wolves lowdown for just three ninety nine a month for the first six months. Plus, subscribers can listen to all our podcasts without the adverts by downloading the app and listening on there. You can sign up at theathletic.co.uk forward slash WolvesPod. How are you, Tim? Have you been building snowmen? Oh yeah, we've had a load here. I was I had a full snow day yesterday. Great fun, great fun. How, how are you doing? Yeah, right, we've been doing the same. Very, very exciting. My kids barely remember snow from last time. So it was fun, a bit of a, a crunching walk in the fresh air this morning. So absolutely lovely. 
Well, let's talk about Chorley away. We always love to do that. But on this occasion, we don't mind so much because they did actually win. Uh, We won't dwell too long on it. But just tell us what the experience was like for you, Tim, to actually be there at Victory Park. It looked like a a proper cup tie atmosphere, even without the fans. Yeah, it was great. I parked about five minutes away and was Google mapping my route to the ground. And I turned into the street that it said the stadium was in. And I still couldn't see it anywhere. I mean, and then... And then just turned down a little alley, and, and there it was, literally in this in this tiny little back street in in the middle of Chorley. And there's this little football stadium. It was charming, actually. I I, I really liked it. A great experience. I'm you know gutted that there couldn't be a thousand odd Wolves fans in there to enjoy it as well, because they would have had a fantastic away day. And it's, it's such a shame. I mean, there was there was barely room to breathe in the ground because more than half the stadium was taken up by TV trucks and wires everywhere, and you know BT covering the game. But eventually, found my way to my seats and great facilities better than Leicester I've got to say and better, better, better than Sheffield United I had a table for a start they'd laid out loads of temporary tables for the for the press and temporary plug sockets it's, it's more than you get at Premier League clubs these days so um, I, I thought they were brilliant and uh, great hosts and the pitch was pretty good considering the incredible amount of rain that, that they'd had in that part of the world leading up to it and you know the level that they play at, I thought all, all things considered, the pitch was pretty good. And Wolves showed a lot of respect to the club as a whole. I think people may have seen uh, a tweet that the Chorley groundsman put out about how they left the, the dressing room, the tiny dressing room, just benches on a tiny floor, a classic non-league with no kind of litter and no rubbish, which you know not all, not all football clubs and teams do. And I think John Ruddy gave his and Rui Patricio's shirts to Chorley's keeper as well. You know, little things like that makes such a nice touch and, and Wolves are very respectful and grateful to get out of there uh, through to the next round. Yeah, I saw on Twitter something about Wolves having left some signed shirts for Chorley because obviously they're not allowed to swap shirts after the game. So they were very, very impressed with the way Wolves had behaved. And uh, it's good to have your club represented in that way. But in terms of the football, well, let's hear from Nuno first of all and get his view from his post-match press conference. He was asked what Wolves could have done better. Mm, press better to react better to, to the loss of the ball, more reaction, be stronger on duels. A lot of aspects of our game need improvement. The scenario was created for a surprise to happen. And uh, we speak about that and the boys the boy were, were professional and achieved what we, we, we wanted. I, f- I honestly think we should do better, but not in terms of, of our attitude. But... Um, I don't know if this game will stay in the memory of of many people. I don't. I don't believe because the quality of the game was not was not the best. Yeah, I think Nuno quite happy to move on pretty quickly after that. Get in there, get a clean sheet, and get out again. Get through into the next round. But um, Tim, a lot of supporters were were pretty cross about the performance, thinking, "Hang on a minute, we can't even up our game and and play a fast paced, high tempo game against." a bunch of non-leaguers and movement was non-existent and the service was non-existent, pointing to all the negatives. Do you look at that or do you just think, no, it's just a case of getting there and getting out again and, and moving on? Well, that's how I felt as the game was carrying on. You know, what am I watching here? This is not a Premier League team against the National League North team. And, you know, you, you allow them maybe a, a ropey first time to 20, 20, 30 minutes, get into the game, get used to the pitch, get used to, to playing against Chorley. Chorley obviously very aggressive, trying to be as high tempo as they could, rugged, chucking the ball in the box. You know, you want to weather that early storm that you sort of, not storm, but early pressure that you know is potentially coming. And then the game settled down. Obviously, Wolves took the lead for this fantastic goal from Bettina. And you expect 
you know, we all watch these games at home on, on telly, a non-league team or, or a lower league team against a Premier League team. And the last thing that you want as a neutral is an early goal for the um, for the big team. You know, you, you, you want the underdog to stay in the game as long as you can. The worst thing that can happen is, is the bigger team scores a goal early on because then you think it's going to be um, a regulation victory. But it wasn't. And Wolves just never kicked on. And it's half an hour, 40 minutes in, and I'm waiting for them to settle down and start showing their their superior class. And it just never happened. And then the second half, really under pressure at the start of the second half, Chorley did all they could to equalise, probably done enough to do so, having more shots than Wolves, more of the play than Wolves. And then Neves came on and, and sort of settled things down in midfield and added the control that Wolves were so desperately lacking. But still, to fail to have more than one shot on target, I just found it incredible, to be honest. And it's hard to know how critical to be. You know, they go into the game... They want the win. They want a clean sheet. That's what everyone wanted. They did that. They're through. No injuries as far as we can tell. So they've come away unscathed. But perhaps for me, it was the most alarming performance of the last few weeks in terms of going forward. And having not been a professional footballer or any kind of footballer myself, maybe it's one that we should look at the pitch and the conditions and just say it's a game you've got to get through. But for me, when you're playing such poor football going forward, such safe football... You know, they were just playing it side to side and backwards constantly. There were no give and goes, there were no combinations. And they'd have these long streaks of fairly banal possession and they'd just give it away at the end of it or, or run down a blind alley. So, you know, the sight of Wolves taking their time with a throw-in towards the end of the game, it was pretty shocking, to be honest. I, I was quite underwhelmed, um, despite Wolves getting through. And, uh, you know, Nuno says there's no questions over their attitude. I'd probably agree with that, having, having seen it firsthand. But did they, did they really fancy it? I mean, Traore came on. You know, the boy who didn't used to play when he was a kid because it was too cold, as I wrote in a piece last year. Did, did he fancy it? I mean, it was quite funny. When he when he stood up to come off the bench, some of the Chorley staff, you could hear them right in front of him. They're like, hey, oh, he's a big lad. <laughs> like, look, he's coming on here. And then, but he came on, uh, just, not, just not sure he, he totally fancied it. So... In summary, it's not like Nuno made 11 changes and gave loads of kids their debut. He's played a strong team here. Full credit to Chorley, who were outstanding and preyed on Wolves' weaknesses. But you've got to see more from Wolves going forward. It was it was pitiful, really, to have one shot on target. Yeah, the Chorley manager, Jamie Vermiglio, afterwards said, we looked like we were going to score every time we went in their box. We should have scored. Oh. And um, the artist formerly known as Dan tweeted, things are so bad at the moment that even a win feels like a defeat. Richard Simmons, turgid, dire, gutless, pathetic, insipid, and we won. It's bloody hard watching Wolves at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of negatives in there, but I mean, they have to learn from it. They have to box it away and then they have to move on. And we will move on. We're going to preview Chelsea and Crystal Palace towards the end of the pod. And by the way, random stat from Opta on the match. Vitinha became the 32nd different Wolves player to score a goal for Nuno in all competitions and the 11th different Portuguese player to do so. And Wolves will meet Southampton at home next for a place in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Great opportunity, Tim. Do we know when that game's definitely going to be played? No, it hasn't been um, hasn't been finalised yet. I mean, it's originally slated for the for Wednesday, February the 10th, but obviously that's that's pre sort of TV picks. But, okay, they've laboured, but they've got through and the FA Cup can save their season. I, I, I don't doubt that at all. If they can beat Southampton, you know, who knows who they'll get in, in the quarters and then you're, you're only one game from the semis. I, I, I'm back in Wolves to have a strong end to the season. I really am. Once they get Pedence back, once they get Johnny back, you know, if, if this new striker of theirs can score some goals, I am backing them 
to end the season well and that could coincide with a cup run which which can really push them on and yeah two wins in the cup and two clean sheets it hasn't helped their confidence in the league so far but it's got the potential to save their season definitely oh they're still in it and they have a new saviour I mean striker Willian the Brazilian Jose Tim and Dermot Corrigan the uh, athletic Spanish football expert wrote a great piece published on Sunday he's a 29 year old striker initially on loan from Real Sociedad no loan fee but an option in Wolves favour of a 22 million pound permanent move in the summer Tim how did that come about I think um, the West Brom game was the, was, was the final straw really they obviously brought Catroni back and hoping that may spark a change in form. Not that we've seen him really, because you know he's got his first start at Chorley. And I think the culmination of, of a terrible run of form, and you can see Nuno's demeanour in that Albion game at the end of the game, and they've decided to act, and they had to bring somebody in. And this is a player that they've looked at for a long time. He was first looked at in 2017, I believe, when the Wolves were still a championship club, and put forward as someone who could be a real option as a, as a pivot at the at the top end of the pitch and he's done really well with Sociedad over, over the past sort of four years decent goal record and someone who's kind of identified as a top target at the start of this month you know when they were actively looking for a striker you know we know that search was kind of put on hold and put on pause when they didn't think there was a deal to be done with the targets they were looking at so they've brought Katrani back they've seen how the situation has gone for the next kind of two three games and not much has changed in terms of Wolves's style of play I know they've scored a few recently I think that's they've scored nine in five now which is good and a big, and a big improvement on where they were at but, you know he's not he's not going to come in and score 10-15 goals between now and the end of the season but what he is going to do is bring attributes that Wolves currently lack which are primarily very good link-up play strength at the top end of the pitch you know we know Silva's not not a strong player yet and the ability to really strike the ball with conviction. You know, I've looked through the majority of his goals for the past few years. It does quite a lot of him sort of dropping at the back post to get on the end of crosses. There are a few headers. There are quite a few penalties. But he's also got this this kind of recurring theme of, of hitting a well-struck shot sort of on the half turn with his right foot and beating the keeper across the face of goal. He scored a numerous amount of goals in that manner. And he's obviously got deficiencies, which is why he's at, why he's at Sociedad age 29. You know, despite the fact he's got a decent scoring record in the league, there's a reason why top clubs haven't picked him up. Albeit he was very close to joining Spurs a year ago, when just in the manner that Wolves have got now, their talisman and striker Harry Kane was out injured, just as Wolves are now with Jimenez, and they tried to sign William Jose at that time as well, and it very near, very nearly did to the extent he'd said his goodbyes at Sociedad and was on his way to London only for the move to fall through. So. I think it's a good. I think it's a good addition, and I think it's pretty much as good as they can get for a short-term fix at this time of year in a horrible market. I think it's pretty much as good as they can get. And kudos to Wolves for negotiating no loan fee here. And you know they've taken over part of his wages, but it's not going to be an expensive addition, and it's quite low risk in that regard. Um, on the flip side, he could do really well, and they could end up signing him in the summer. Albeit, twenty-two million is a lot for a player who'll turn thirty this year, but. For the here and now, I think it's a really good addition. I think it'll boost the squad's morale and it'll improve the way that they're attacking. So um, it looks pretty good on the surface to me. I'm, I'm pleased with it. Yeah, it seems a very good signing. Spain-based writer Phil Ball wrote in your article that it's really well worth a read. So much detail in there. 
Yes, he's a one in three man, but I would temper those stats by describing him as a man of phases. He can be wonderful for six months and disappear for the next six. He's a tad moody, but there doesn't seem to be any particular explanation for his inconsistency. You would just hope that Nuno would get the best out of him. He's a good man manager. Obviously, the fact that his language is Portuguese rather helps a lot. And I've had a good look at his background and um, watched him actually in the under-20 World Cup final in 2011, which is seen as quite a, a decent gauge, more so than the under-17s as to how good a player is going to be. And he won it with Brazil. He was in the starting lineup. He scored twice in that tournament in Colombia, including the semi-final. And there was actually a goal line dispute, really, in the final. I think he actually scored, but uh, they didn't have goal line technology then. And he was in a team with the likes of Felipe Coutinho and Oscar, formerly of Chelsea fame, of course, plus Casemiro. Roderick Miranda, by the way, was in the Portugal side in the final. So too Danilo and Cedric Suarez. So a lot of talent in there. He was 19 at the time. Didn't necessarily kick on since then. But looking at his stats, they're actually very, very similar to those of Raul, bearing in mind they're both 29, Raul's six months older than William Jose, and William in his ninth club, including loans, has made 299 total league appearances, so his Wolves debut will be his 300th league appearances, a 202 starts, 97 as sub, 84 league goals. Now we know that Raul was on the bench a lot before he came to Wolves, very similar league goals, just two fewer. 82 league goals in his career for Raul from 262. But Raul's career, before he came to Wolves, as you know, Tim, wasn't really that spectacular. He spent all his career in the top flight, Mexico, Spain briefly, Portugal and England. But between the ages of 23 and 27, Raul only averaged six and a half league starts per season, going from America Club in Mexico, briefly Atletico Madrid, then Benfica. That's four years he spent basically as a substitute until he came to Wolves. And suddenly that jumped up from six and a half league starts a season to 36 and a half in his two seasons at Wolves. And he and William Jose averaging a league goal every three and a half games, a slightly better record for Raul, but they are very similar. And neither of them particularly has paced him, uh, but both of them excellent with link-up play, good in the air, very, very similar. And we know what Raul brings to Wolves, as well as just the goals. It must give the other players a huge boost now in the squad, Tim, that they have a real target man to aim for and somebody who does a very similar job to the one they're used to having Raul do for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you mentioned Jimenez being on the bench and, and at Benfica, and Wolves have done that pretty successfully with a few players over the years. Willy Bolly was, wasn't a regular at all at Porto, ironically under Nuno. Pedro Neto, barely getting a kick at Lazio, and, and Jimenez a perennial substitute at Benfica. So, you know, th- those three have been incredible successes and, and not obvious signings really at that time. So they've got an eye for that. And, you know, it was great to chat to Phil Ball, whoever, we, if, if you read the article, um, you know, he speaks a lot of sense, a regular Sociedad watcher. And um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a job for Nuno to get the best out of him. You know, you mentioned that inconsistency. I think a lot of it can be put down to Sociedad changing their system, you know, reading into it. They've they've gone really high pressing over the last two years, sort of in a Liverpool style. Wolves are not a pressing team at all. They're really low down the league, 15th for, for kind of pressing stats. So that doesn't suit him at Sociedad, but it may suit him at Wolves. He's, he's not particularly quick, not particularly mobile. More of a Giroud type was how it was described to me, slightly more than, than Jimenez. But the key to Wolves playing good attacking football, as we know, is Neto, 
Traore and Pedence. And you, you've got to feed them. And they've had no one really feeding them recently. And Samedo and Aitnori not really on their wavelengths yet, I think I think you'd say. So it's asking a lot of him to come in and make a huge difference. And I think the intensity of the Premier League is something he'll have to get used to quickly. But he scored two in the week. He has scored regularly. You know, Phil kind of described him as a one in three man. When you look at his goals per minutes, it's pretty much a goal every two games, which again is similar to, to what Jimenez was offering when he came in. In terms of per 90 minutes, he, he scores half a goal every 90 minutes, basically. So that's one in two if he's playing the full match. 14 goals in his first season at Sociedad, 20 in his seconds, then 11 in the last two and, and six this season. It's pretty decent and... It's a big move for him to the Premier League, age 29. A massive chance for him to earn a move. I mean, his motivation levels must be really high for the next few months. He knows that if he does well and scores six or seven goals, there's a £22 million move to the Premier League for him on offer in the summer, I think. So um, he, he could come in and really help save their season. If he can get a few goals, if he can link that play. But the, but the key to him is going to be um, helping their style up front more than more than just goals. Obviously, we need them to chip in with a few as well. But in terms of releasing Pedence, releasing Neto and Traore and the two wing backs, if he can get used to the intensity of the Premier League quickly, then I think Wolves have made it a good addition. Yeah, and we watched him in Copa del Rey the other day, and we were all kind of after hearing that he was going to sign and then hearing that he was starting in a match about forty-five minutes later. Everybody scrambled onto Premier Sports TV if, if you subscribe to it uh, to watch him play, and he scored twice and. Uh, the second goal in particular, excellent. I think we're all watching that thinking that's exactly what Wolves need here. And looking back at his record, he, he had a lot of clubs where he was here, there and everywhere, loaned out, loaned out, didn't really have anywhere where he was particularly loved. And then he's had these five years at Real Sociedad, 119 league starts, uh, 52 league goals. And he was there from the age of 24 to 29 as he is now. And he says he needs a fresh start. He also says, I watched several games and that motivated me to be part of this project. You wonder which games he watched that particularly motivated him. <laughs> what did he watch that made him think, yes, I want to sign for them. Maybe he thought, I want to get on the end of those juicy crosses from Neto and Triori. Possibly, quite possibly. He says, I'm a striker and number nine, but I'm not just a player to be just inside the area. I like to get out too, to defend, hold the ball, hold it up, to bring other players into play. Will that be music to the ears of a lot of Wolves players and supporters alike? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Are you stuck at home, bored of Netflix, and realise there's a reason people only play Scrabble once a year? Well, The Athletic is coming to your rescue. With the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK, 
We'll be putting on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find our most knowledgeable subscriber and, of course, to raise money for a very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK helps to fund life-saving research and provides valuable support and information for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. We'll be encouraging you to donate money on the night for a great cause. We'll be running a quiz for every team we cover, plus one each for the Bundesliga, Serie A and La Liga. The winners of each quiz will go through to our grand final at the end of March, where there's a very nice £1,000 up for grabs and we'll match this with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK. The quizzes will be hosted by the correspondent for that club or league and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. Sign up for a free 30-day trial with The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash PCUK. We have reached the midway point of the season, so we thought we'd get Tim to give us a mid-term report on the Wolves players, who's done well and who must improve and in what areas. Are you ready, Tim? Okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. You got your cane ready? You got your headmaster's <laughs> outfit? Just picture the scene. I've got you. Okay. Starting with the goalkeepers. Rui Patricio. Patricia, I think, I mean, he set really high standards last season and I don't think he's reached them this year, to be honest. You know, there's quite a few goals now you could say he should have saved and he's been rooted to his line on quite a few other occasions where goals have gone in. So, yeah, he needs he needs to get back to those standards of last season because uh, Wolves need it. John Ruddy. John Ruddy, three games, uh, boobed against Stoke in the League Cup when he let one through him, uh, but two clean, two clean sheets in the FA Cup this year. So um, it's hard to judge him without a run of games, but he's done well in the last two. Captain Connor Cody. Uh, huge personal achievements with England. Uh, started the season really well with Wolves as well. Um, I think the formation changes has affected him. I, I think he can play in a four, but I think he needs solid defenders around him and he hasn't had that at all recently. So if they're going back to a three now, he'll he'll benefit most of all You know, after that unceremonious substitution against West Brom. Willie Bolly. Bolly, he's not the Bolly of, of old, uh, not the Bolly of February to June when he was imperious and, and sparked that clean sheet run they had. Sloppy mistakes, lapses in concentration, still Wolves' his best defender on his day, but, but we, need his, we need his best form back. Roman Saiz. Saiz, three goals and no bookings. Who'd have said that at the start of the season? He's completely eradicated his, his bookings. Good in the opposition box, uh, not so good in his own box recently. I think he's a great squad player, but Wolves will need a better defender going forward. Max Kilman. Kilman uh, had a really big impact when he came into the team, uh, the Leeds game in particular, where he's man of the match. I think he needs 10 to 12 games in a row before he's going to start to feel at home at this level, but um, I'd have him in the team right now. Nelson Semedo. Uh, oh, um, I mean, that's, uh, as Tomo said in last week's pod, you know, we need to remember he's in a new country, isolation, new team, new system, etc., Big potential going forward with that pace and that drive, but defensively he's not not a thirty seven million pound player, and he's got to improve in that area. And I think he will improve if he's at wing back. Keanu Hoover, uh, outstanding at Man United, seems like he's got good character and good potential. He's only a kid, but um, but I'm looking forward to seeing what what more is to come from him. Ryan Ain't Nori. Probably exactly the same, to be honest. Again, he was very good at Man United. I think he's got the attributes to be a really good all-round wing-back, actually. And I think we've seen enough from him to know that he's worth persevering with and they'll probably sign him in the summer. 
Fernando Marcel. Marcel, I mean, he's been injury prone throughout his career. That hasn't changed at Wolves. And if Johnny's back before him in terms of their injury recoveries, because we know Marcel's out now having had an operation on a groin injury, I'm not sure we'll see him again this season if, if Johnny beats him back, to be honest. Ruben Neves. Neves, consistent, um, created quite a lot of chances, got in the box this season. His defensive game has improved. I think him alongside Dendonka is, is probably the best midfield pairing at the moment. Joao Moutinho? Uh, I think you've got a question if this is his final season. Certainly as a first-choice player, you know, I think he'd be good to have around the squad. He's an important figure in the dressing room. But as a first-choice, I think this is, you know, he's 35 this year. He can still have an impact on games, but not nearly as regularly as he was doing it before. Leander Dendonka? Uh, I think Wolves are a better team with him in it. I really like a lot of the attributes he's got. He works so hard. But if he's going to be the answer in the long term, in that position, he's got to add goals. You know, he's not scored this season. He's missed quite a few glaring opportunities. He's got to improve that because otherwise they'll look to improve on him for next season, I think. Vitinha? Vitinha, some promising moments. Only one start, so it's hard to judge him properly. Physically, he's not there, um, but technically he's very good. Um, albeit I'm not sure where he's going to fit if they're going to play 3-4-3. Morgan Gibbs-White? Gibbs-White, brilliant start to the season. I think a full season at Swansea would have been so beneficial for his entire career. He's sort of back to where he was before now, I think. He needs to start to impose himself on games, but how do you do that if you're not in your preferred position and starting week after week? So oh, it's hard to see It's hard to see what happens next with him. Owen Otisawi? A really promising, athletic, positive presence in midfield. He's not a false nine, that's for sure. I don't want to ever see him there again. But more to come from him, definitely. Raul Jimenez. Jimenez, uh, we knew how important he was to this team, but the last 11 games have shown just how important and reliant Wolves are on him. He's one of the best out-and-out strikers in Europe and any team's going to miss him and we just want him back as healthily and as soon as possible. Fabio Silva? Uh, I mean, for an 18-year-old, not blessed with pace or outstanding technique, it's going to be hard to shine as a central striker. And I think he's done pretty well. You know, his movement's great. I think when the goals come, and that might not be for a while, um, but when the goals come, I think he can be a star. I really do. Pedro Neto? Player of the season so far, a huge leap forward in his development. Um, created the fifth most chances in the entire Premier League. You know, ace 20. A perfect example of what Wolves try to do with their recruitment. He's been he's been outstanding. Adama Traore? I think injury problems have held him back for a decent chunk of the season. He looks to be free of pain now and free of those problems and I think he's really kicked on in, in, um, in the last few weeks. Daniel Podenz? Uh, his injury came at a really bad time. Uh, he was really influencing and imposing himself on games at uh, quite a consistent level. Um, I think he could be as, as as good and as influential as Neto is in this team. But yeah, um, injury came at a really bad time. Patrick Catrone? Catrone, I'm not sure where he fits in, to be honest. I'm, I don't think he's a Nuno player for me. He doesn't, look like, he doesn't look like he fits into Nuno's style and philosophy. And it's going to take a massive turnaround for that to change now, um, which looks far less likely now he's going to be third choice. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him move out on loan again. And finally, Nuno, the manager. Nuno, I mean, he's, he's been dealt a bad hand, I think, with in terms of signings and injuries this season um, in his defence. And we know we know the sort of issues he's had uh, with the COVID situation and lack of organisation, which he hates, and lack of consistency in preparation. But the formation change was always going to be risky during a season, and I think he's got that wrong. Um, albeit that formation does show promise for me in the long run, but not now with so many injuries during a season. I think he sort of lost his magic touch a little bit. You know, we've seen 
when they've been beating Brighton and West Brom at half time, they've come out and just flopped and folded. You know, that's not that's not what we've seen. Wolves are normally better in the second half after Nuno spoken to them. So, I mean, calls for his departure are just absolutely farcical, but he does he needs to get his mojo back uh, sooner rather than later. Thank you, Tim. Very, very good. You can put your cane down well, it feels now. feels good to get off my chest. <laughs> You've got it all like off that. your chest. Now, in relation to that, to one of the players there, Ben Stack asks, what is Moutinho offering at the moment? It feels like a long time since he consistently influenced games. He's so naturally talented, but his free kicks and corners just seem so poor. And he rarely passes more than four or five metres these days and rarely forwards. Yeah, I mean, he's never been one that's, that's had to rely on pace and, and strength. So in terms of age and, and losing you know a physical presence I'm not sure that should really be affecting him but it's more that he's just not controlling the tempo of games anymore you know he used to he used to have teams on a string in, in that first season in the Premier League but he's lost that I think Neves has outshone him this season which you know wasn't the case two years ago and it's hard to see where he kind of recovers it now like I said I, I think he, he can still have an influence on on the right sort of game and, and if you're playing a three in midfield, I think there's a place for him there, absolutely. But if you're playing a two, it's got to be Neves and Dendonka for me. Like I said, not that I would discard Martino at all, because I think his, his presence in the squad and what he can offer them in that dressing room, and, and not a dressing room full of leaders at all, you know, there's still a place for him. But his influence is, is certainly waning. Not not that Nuno's afraid to drop him, by the way. You know, he, he has dropped him in a few games this season. He didn't get a kick at Leicester away. But that's a decision for him going forward now. We'll have more... Listener tweets in a few moments' time when we preview the Chelsea and Crystal Palace away matches. But first, Tim, in the middle of January, Wolves made the announcement that Academy Director Scott Sellers was being promoted to Technical Director. But what does that mean for the club in practice? Is that a a significant shift in structure behind the scenes in terms of the way the club is run or not? Um, Not a huge change in terms of structure, but, but certainly an elevation for Scott Sellers and certainly a promotion. And I think what we've effectively seen now is Kevin Thelwell's uh, replacement, 11 months on from, from his departure. So from what I'm told, Sellers will have the same influence as, as Thelwell did over signings and recruitment, which as we know, you know, George Mendes will be central to the bulk of first team signings, but but Sellers will have a say and be an authority on on certainly on under-23 editions, as, as he was anyway, the domestic market. You know, the role of technical director, I think, is is specifically chosen to say that he's not, doesn't outrank Nuno. And I think that's an important point to make. And I think if they were to make a managerial appointment soon, Scott Sellers probably wouldn't be involved in that process, whereas Kevin Thelwell was. But it's a very senior position for Scott Sellers, and it's sort of him... Jeff Shee and Matt Wilde on the football committee side of it now. You know, they've they've changed their structure since Dalrymple and Thelwell left and I wrote a piece on this last year. So Matt Wilde, yeah, general manager of football operations, playing a really important role now and, and doing things like contract negotiations and, and transfer deals in terms of the uh, logistics and finances of that. And of course, Nuno still has the final say on recruitment. And then on the other side, just to explain, you know, Laurie Dalrymple's roles were split between uh, Vinnie Clark, who's general manager of commercial operations, and Russell Jones, who's general manager of marketing and commercial growth. So they've got their structure in place now. You know, it's it's been a truncated year. We spoke last February about what a loss Thelwell is in terms of planning and in terms of an overview and that of that knowledge. Perhaps we've seen in the tr- summer transfer window just how important that that knowledge was. Really, you know, when you see the team struggling. Gaps in the squad, 
young players taking a while to acclimatise. Uh, they probably needed someone to say, you know, look, you've sold Matt Doherty and Diogo Jota. Where are the goals coming from? Where's the experience? Great to sign young players, but the first 11 was arguably weaker. And I think Kevin Thelwell would have had an important say at that kind of time, really. Just someone to have an overview of everything that's going on. So that'll be sellers now. And he's had almost seven years at the club in a variety of roles, but with an increasing influence at the club and a close ally of, of, of Jeff Shee, who has the respect of those below and above him. Nuno spoke really well about him in Friday's press conference. I asked him about sellers um, and you can read that and more in a piece, which I think is coming out on Wednesday about what this all means. But yeah, he'll be a great link between the academy setup and the first team which of course is so important towards his philosophy. You know, we know that. And um, he applied to be Thelwell's direct replacement last March when they were interviewing, because initially they were going to hire a sporting director. After Thelwell left in February, they were going to replace him in March. And Sellers interviewed at that time and was said to be very impressive. But the pandemic put an end to that search. Uh, it was thought to be kind of dreadful timing with everybody at home to be bringing someone in at the centre of the club. So it was kind of put on hold um, and they've revisited it now and, and given Sellers a, a promotion, which I'm sure has been well received by pretty much everybody at the club. Like I said, he's very well respected. And although he's been at the club and has been influencing things anyway, he's got that title now and that gives him extra responsibility. And I think that's important in, in the months to come. Do you think it's also important, bearing in mind that from the outside, it looked as though there was Jeff Shee running the club, who we don't hear from very often, we've talked about that plenty, um, and then Nuno and with sort of George Mendes lurking in the background. Do you think it didn't look too good from the outside, maybe from fans' perspectives, and that having somebody so well-respected as Scott Sellers is, with the experience that he has in that technical director's role, uh, makes it look as though the club's in good hands? Or is that just a superficial way of looking at it? I mean, you're, you're right in how it is viewed, and 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 there's there's been a running joke for the last year that, you know, Jeff Shee's doing every job, and Jeff Shee's the tea lady, and Jeff Shee's going to be playing at left-back and whatnot. Those so of I, us I think... with young kids, by the way, would nickname him Miss Rabbit. If you don't have young kids, then just ask a parent of young you kids are. and you'll know what I mean. Miss Rabbit from um, Peppa Pig. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Miss Rabbit does every single time. job, every single job in, in the supermarket when they go to a, a fun fair. <laughs> Miss Rabbit. People thought Jeff Shee of being... So like, like a Neil Emblem sort, basically. Yes, utility. Able to do everything. Oh, that's a, <laughs> for, for a Wolves podcast, that's, you know, that's probably the better example. <laughs> Um, yeah, better than Greg Halford, definitely. <laughs> that didn't quite work out, did it? Good spot. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I see. What, I see what you're saying, and you've got to remember, Wolves are a different case because George Mendes is such an influential figure. So what they're not going to do is go out and hire the best sporting director in the world and someone with a with with a massive profile, because we know that when it comes to first team recruitment, they're not going to have that that influence because you know George Mendes is is there and still a very prominent part, as we saw in the summer in particular, an increasing part, an increasing influence perhaps with with the amount of Mendes signings that came in. So a sporting director or a technical director, whatever it is, has got to accept that, um, but still has an important part to play. Like I said. You know, the under-23s, the academy, it's so important towards this philosophy. And you've got to have that link in there, you know, I think between Jeff Shee, between Nuno and Mendes as well. And then you've got these other kind of different level of, of increasingly senior figures at the club. And it's important to have that solid structure. So hopefully that's what they've got now. Yes, Scott Sellers, very well respected, although I do still think of him. Whenever I hear his name, the first thing I think of is not a senior figure at Wolves, but as a scampering winger 
in the um, halves of uh, Blackburn Rovers kit in the early 90s. Showing your age. Yeah, you were barely born then, but that's how I think (laughs) of it. But then Leeds United as well and Bolton. But anyway, very, very good player in his day. Now, Wolves have the small matter of a couple of away games in London coming up at Chelsea away on Wednesday night at 6pm live on BT Sport and then on Saturday at 3 o'clock live on Sky Sports, although I'll be doing the darts on ITV4 then, the Masters from Milton Keynes, so feel free to have both screens on at the same time, that's absolutely fine. Um, A three o'clock kickoff, by the way, Tim, on Saturday is, you were saying on Twitter the other day, the first one Wolves have had since the last time Wolves fans were allowed in Molyneux, back in March last year for that wonderful goalless draw against Brighton. Extraordinary. It's been a long time, isn't it? Um, not not that it not that it'll feel any different at Palace away on Saturday because it's still still this crazy situation with no fans. But yeah, it's been a been a long time. Well, let's bring in a writer for the Athletic now, who very helpfully for us covers both Chelsea and Crystal Palace. Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hey, Jack. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. First of all, if you could give us your reaction to the Lampard sacking, I gather it it had been coming from your perspective. You'd been aware of it for a while. Well, certainly the the, the pressure was was cranking up on him. I, I think that the timing today was quite surprising given that they'd beaten Luton Town over the weekend in the FA Cup and they had a couple of games coming up in very short succession um, in, in the, the days ahead. But that's probably down more to, to their search for a successor. Um, and it sounds as if Thomas Tuchel's got that job now and it really boiled down to his availability and getting him through the door to replace him. It's it's a strange time at Chelsea. It has been for a while. There's been a simmering discontent at the underachievement this season after the heavy investment of the summer when they spent £200 million plus. And they to see them languishing in mid-table and falling further off the pace in terms of Champions League qualification... Uh, has set the alarm bells ringing and they've they've acted now. I realise this is a really horrible, nasty question, but I'm really <laughs> going to enjoy asking it. How might this news, which is breaking as we speak, but people have had a day to digest it by the time they listen to it, how do you think it might affect Wolves' approach and Chelsea's approach to Wolves? Or is, is it just impossible to tell right now? Well, I was thinking about this. The last Chelsea manager to, to lose his job mid-season was Jose Mourinho back in mid-season 2015-2016, so mid-December. That was at a particularly acrimonious time at that club. There was a lot of poison around the place. And they played a game a few days after his dismissal. I think he he was sacked just after the the, the staff Christmas lunch. And three or four days later, they had Sunderland at home. And Stamford Bridge was... I mean, pure poison, pure poison. The, the, the fans all turned on the players. They blamed them for the for what had happened, the unravelling really under Mourinho that season. Remember, they were the, they were defending their title that year. There were placards, there were chants. Uh, Gus Hiddink, the interim manager, was was up in the stands watching on. And Chelsea's players, uh, principal amongst them Oscar and Fabregas, were absolutely inspired that afternoon and played as if a huge weight had been taken off their shoulders. They absolutely dazzled, dismissed Sunderland very, very comfortably indeed, uh, and proceeded to go on a what turned out to be 10, 12 matches unbeaten in the league. So I would suggest that Chelsea's players might have a reaction midweek against Wolves just because of a... Excellent news. <laughs> sorry, just because they've got a new man in. And look, he won't... If it is to be too good, and we, we believe it is, he won't have had a chance to 
to assess even what he's got yet. So uh, there will be a, a reliance almost on the, the tactics of the previous regime to get them through a midweek fixture against Wolves. But but that said, the desire and urgency to impress a new manager may have more of an influence on this particular f- fixture in terms of emotion. And you know, Chelsea Chelsea have been lacking energy and dynamism in Premier League matches of late. I would suspect that this is a a cracking of the whip, basically. I think I suspect we'll we'll see Chelsea revive in that sense, but they can still be outdone tactically, definitely, and and that that'll be where where Wolves will hope to make their mark. And one of the big issues is the fact that Lampard wasn't able to get a tune out of the the biggest money signings, likes of Havertz, perhaps at seventy two million, Werner at. 47.7-ish. Would you expect his departure to have an immediate impact on those type of players? I mean, was it confidence issues? Was it tactical reasons he wasn't able to get the best out of Werner in particular? Tactical probably with more with Havertz and Werner. I think actually Werner played it almost as a 10 against Luton at the weekend and and looked pretty good, admittedly against a a team from the mid-table in the Championship. But that seems to be his sort of second striker. That seems to be his role. And Look, in the in the long term, you'd imagine that Thomas Tuchel might be able to get more out of these players. He certainly knows them very, very well, just because of the circles in which he's been moving, and he knows he'll know German football well, even if he's been at Paris Saint Germain for the last few few seasons. Havertz, uh, the problem with Havertz is no one knows where he plays, no, no one knows what his position is, and that was something that that Lampard singularly failed to ascertain and it just became clearer with every passing week that he wasn't a a player that Lampard would have been targeting indeed of all the signings they made in the summer it was probably only Chilwell that was a Lampard driven signing and he's arguably been the one that's that's fitted in best of all within a Lampard system but these guys have got points to prove they will be spurred on they will want to impress a new manager and Werner and Havertz have got offered that opportunity in midweek will definitely be keen to to showcase what they're what they can do, showcase their pedigree. That they'll be desperate to to justify the fees that were paid out for them over the summer. But there is a fragility there, and if 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 Wolves can could come and 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 play as in an organised way and in a tactically shrewd way, in a taking into account that they will be braced for you know a slightly more dynamic Chelsea performance. Um, there's an opportunity there still for Wolves. Chelsea are vulnerable and one day under a new manager is not going to cure all the, all the issues that they have. You mentioned in terms of mentality, we're likely to see an improvement from Chelsea, but also that yeah, those tactical weaknesses. What do you think in, in particular that, that can't really change in a day? Um, are the weaknesses that Wolves can really prey on? Kind of bearing in mind, you know, Neto and Traore's their major sort of strength with pace down the wide areas. Do you think, that, do you think they can hurt Chelsea that way? Well, just look what Leicester did to them last week. Uh, the, the space behind and between uh, Rhys James and Antonio Rudiger at uh, the King Power Stadium was embarrassing at times. It was gaped open. Rhys James is a wonderful player going forward, great attack-minded fullback, but his positioning is still very, very suspect. So if you've got pace on the flank, then, then that can be exploited. Chilwell always, on the opposite flank, his instinct is always to fly forwards. So that does, that does leave acres behind him and Wolves can certainly tap that. The other thing is, it's the system. I mean, Chelsea have been four three three all season. The last week they've suddenly adopted four two three one, almost in a bid to get Havertz playing, to get Werner playing, almost like the 
a desperate late attempt by Lampard to justify keeping his position, um, you'd argue. And it's looked horribly clunky, horribly awkward. That uh, they've they've missed N'Golo Conte. We, we don't know whether he'll be available in midweek uh, for Chelsea yet. He's been suffering from a hamstring injury. Without him, that's a massive, massive hole because Mount is not a defensive midfielder. Gilmore's excellent, but he's young and inexperienced. Um, Jorginho just hasn't done it. He's not dynamic enough almost for the, for the, for the Premier League. Kovacic, likewise, has, has been in and out this season. So even that central midfield area, there's a, there's a vulnerability and fragility to, to that. And, and up top, you just don't know. The combinations have been chopped and changed with each passing match. I don't think there's any sort of real bonds between players. They don't know their best combinations yet. That, that was a problem with Lampard. I mean, you could argue at the end of his tenure that he didn't know his best team, just simply didn't know what it was. Is Tuchel going to know his best team after 24 hours in the job? Very, very doubtful. So it's actually probably a good time to play them if, if you can weather that storm, if you can weather the storm, because there will be that urgent urgency from the outset where they'll want to try and impress. But score the first goal, you never know what might happen. But you're going to save that clip for next week, Dawn, where you say, good time to play Chelsea. So if anything <laughs> bad happens, that's what we're starting with next week. Just so you know, that's I'm pretty the kind sure, of way we operate on here. I'm pretty sure that I said it was a good time for Chelsea to be playing Wolves yeah, we'll <laughs> when take they the went up to that suits us, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it sounds from what you're saying that it could be a night for... Neto and Traore, by the way, on the flank. So that'd be interesting to see. I mean, Wolves' 2-1 home win against Chelsea in mid-December was their only Premier League win in nine since Arsenal away in November when Raul was injured. And Wolves have averaged two goals conceded per game since then, scoring 10 and conceding 18 in those nine games. And Wolves haven't had a clean sheet in 12 since Palace at home in October. And it's Palace, of course, who they play next away from home. And yes, we do know your allegiances, Dom. I don't know if they're supposed to be public, but I'm going to put them out there anyway. Um, so you, you, you see a lot of Palace. And how would you describe them in terms of their form and in terms of what they're doing well and in terms of what they're not doing so well? Well, I'd say the form is pretty stodgy. Um, they had an excellent start to the season, won their first two games against Southampton and United. But since then, they've only beaten the bottom three in Leeds United. So they've almost hit a bit of a wall, really. Maybe uh, maybe a ceiling might be might be slightly kinder. I think mid-table is probably where they, they should be. They're, they're being quite creative in the transfer market, so it'll be interesting to see who is available to them at the weekend. They've, they've already signed Jean-Philippe Mateta from, from Mainz, who is very much a Christian Benteke replacement, really, in the long term. But whether he... Whether he'll be starting games uh, initially under Roy Hodgson is, remains to be seen. They're, they're trying to get Damari Gray in from from Leicester City, who would add them another option on on the flank. But they're an ageing team that's in transition. They're 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 a squad that needs to be revitalised. Uh, they're making attempts to bring in younger players now. Uh, they'll be ongoing in the summer as well, as long as Premier League status is is retained. And to be honest, I suspect that will happen. They'll probably finish mid-table and there will be further changes, not least in the dugout, probably over the summer. You think it'll be Roy Hodgson's last season? Last season at Palace, probably. Not necessarily his last season in football. He's a, a manager that doesn't want to... But he's, he's he's probably reached a time now where Palace have to move on and Roy Hodgson has to move on. Um, but that won't happen before the summer unless something disastrous happens over the next couple of months. And what do you think Palace will be hoping that Wolves don't do to them? 
Well, Palace don't have a great record against Wolves. Other than that win at Molyneux in 2019, I think they won 2-0 at Molyneux. They, they tend to struggle to break them down. They struggle with the pace on the flanks again. So Neto and Traore, if they if they whether they get through the midweek game, I think they will be potent threats again against Palace at the weekend. It's probably pace. I mean, the Palace's back line is old. If Gary Cahill plays, if uh, Scott Dan comes in, if James Tonkins is there, that these are players that can get turned. Depends who they play on the uh, fullback as well. But there is a susceptibility there in, in that central defence and central midfield as well that can be bypassed with, with runners flooding through. So uh, it, it, look, all games between Palace and Wolves at Sellers Park tend to be incredibly tight. They usually end 1-1 with uh, Wolves equalising the last minute. And I've still not forgiven Tim for that from very early on in our athletic days together. <laughs> you, you never mentioned it since, Dom. It's funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that Jota goal was a massive turning point at Selhurst Park, wasn't it, in terms of Wolves' season? But that's that, that's that's almost part of the course. And there seem to be two quite evenly matched teams, but Wolves have probably got a bit more about them going forward. So if Wolves click, then Palace will be in trouble. But in fact, the last... I mean, God, was it three wins at Molyneux now in the last six months or so that, that Wolves have enjoyed against Palace? It's always become a regular occurrence for them. So they'll just probably just try and do the same things. And the big, biggest frustration for Palace fans, whenever Palace seem to confront Wolves, is, is Palace don't seem to adapt their tactics. They always get overrun in midfield. They always go in 4-4-2 and, and can't cope with Wolves 4-3-3 um, with the extra body in, in midfield. So you'd like to hope that fourth time, lucky, Roy Hodgson comes up with a different type of plan for this fixture. Okay, Dominic Fifield, thank you so much for joining us on the Molyneux View. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. A few quickfire tweets for you, Tim. Paul Mansell, with the bulk of goals being conceded from crosses, are we doing enough in the wide positions to reduce the amount of crosses we're facing? Good point. It's a very good point. I'm just going to quickly say, we have had a couple of calls from um, listeners to ask if they want this pod to be on Zoom. And I think that interview is probably a good example of why we can't put it on Zoom. Because when Dom Firefield's saying, Traore and Neto can smash it at Sellers Park, there's me and you giving giving fist bumps to each other and thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) And he's withering, but he's a Palace fan. He's like, oh, Oh, goodness. (laughs) Very Um, interesting stuff. Yeah, no, I think... um, Paul's absolutely right. You know, Samedo and Aitnori not not getting close enough to their man's, not doing enough to their to their opponents rather, not doing enough to to close people down. And again, it's hard to know who they're missing more this season. Are they missing Jimenez more, or are they missing Johnny and Doherty more because they were just so solid in those roles? You know, particularly defensively. So um, no, it's a good point to make. Yeah, absolutely. Margaret Bowen, do you think Pedence and Willian will be available against Chelsea? And how's Johnny's progression? 
Willian, no, I don't think so. Um, there's a few hoops to go through in terms of international clearance and getting his work permit under the new Brexit regulations. And speaking on on Monday as we record this, you know, he's not in the country yet. So I'd be surprised if he played at Chelsea. Um, Pedence is out running and potentially back this week, I would say, um, judging on the recovery time that they gave him and judging on the fact that he's out now on the grass. And then the others they've got out, yeah, Johnny. Johnny will be... February slash March was how it was described to me a few weeks ago and they'll want to take their time with him and I would have thought, uh, yeah, you've got to say end of next month is a decent shout for Johnny. Sean Percival, returning to a back five is surely a retrograde step. Wolves should stick with a back four and when fit, Pudence, Adama, Neto and a striker should all start. Um, I, I, I know what he means, but I'd, dis, I'd politely disagree for now and say they've got to get back to basics to get some results and clean sheets on the board. It's been so long since a Premier League clean sheet. They've got to go back to basics. The formation can wait for me until they've had a pre-season and they've got all their players back. Chris George, do you have a view on Nuno's use of substitutions? To me, this is one area he consistently misjudges. Uh, he makes a lot. I think, certainly until recently, Wolves had made the maximum amount of substitutions this season. Um, along with only one or two other clubs, so he makes them a lot. But yeah, his in-game his in-game management and his substitutions have never have never been outstanding for me, and it's been a, it's been an area of weakness even, even since the championship days. Matt the Knights, what does revised success look like now for the season, both league and cup? Uh, if you look at the table, they're a long way off challenging for Europe. I don't think that's going to happen now, and I think if, like I said, I think they can have a strong strong end to the season, and if. If they got to what FA Cup semi-finals and finished twelfth, I, I think you probably take that now from, from the direction that they're currently going in. Absolutely, David Handley. Does Tim think there will be any further strengthening this month? We all seem to be forgetting how poorly we were playing before Raoul's injury. The problem is deeper than just a new striker. Uh, I'd be surprised because um, when the injured players are back, the squad is full, and it would it would mean axing one of their first team players, which you know we know Nuno doesn't like to do certainly in the middle of a season. So I'd be um, I'd be surprised, and certainly at this moment in time, there's nothing nothing doing, as they say. What about in the summer? Do you think a new midfielder, somebody with a bit more drive and dynamism, perhaps? Because you, like, yeah. you look at somebody like Leicester, sorry, and just what James Madison offers them, you think, God, Wolves would bite your hand off for somebody like that. And I was told they did look at him a few years ago before he we went to Leicester. But they hey. did. They did. I remember reporting on it at the time. Um, uh, I think there are some big questions for the summer. One is budget. You know, and we know the coronavirus situation has, has an impact on that. How much are they willing to spend? They asked for investment 18 months ago, Foson, and that hasn't been forthcoming either. You know, they want new investors. That hasn't happened. So how much money have they got to spend? Is everyone going to stay? Neves, Traore, Neto, etc. What formation are they going to play going forward? And who is surplus to requirements? You know, do they move Matinho on? Do they say we can do better than Dendonka and Saïs? Big, big questions to come in the summer. Big questions. And has Nuno got the drive to go again? You know, lots of questions to be answered. Thank you, Tim. That's another meaty pod after last week's, which was our most talked about and the most feedback we've had ever, I think, last week, wasn't it? It was extraordinary. Oh, we're into the, into the top 10 in the world of podcasts. We are massive. Well, not quite, but Top you know. eight, wasn't it? At one stage, we were top eight in Britain for football podcasts on Apple. That was absolutely extraordinary. So thank you to everybody who listened last week in particular and who's been listening for the past 12 months. And for all your feedback as well on iTunes reviews and what have you, we really do appreciate all your feedback. We do. And uh, anything else to report before we say to Ra? No. 
thank you. <laughs> go, go and play with the remaining bits of snow in your back garden, Tim. Go and enjoy yourself uh, before you uh, write that article on Scott Sellers, which we'll look forward to on Wednesday and then hopefully have something to look forward to on Wednesday night. Who knows which Chelsea will show up? Who knows which Wolves will show up? Do subscribe for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and you can read all of Tim's content on The Athletic and you can listen to all the podcasts advert-free as well. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. Thank you very much. Bye for now. The Athletic.